2: Welcome to the Tuesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, whatever's on your heart and mind, questions about the Bible, what we believe as Christians or why we believe it, uh, questions about passages of Scripture that are troubling to you or just difficult to understand. And maybe you're just going through something really tough. And we can give you some help directing you to the Word of God. We'll do whatever we can. Here are our phone numbers, 340-9585 for your live calls. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Uh, you can use the free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send questions uh, to us as well. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app, and you can just push the Call Now button, and you'll be connected directly to the studio. Now, Tuesday, we usually go right to the questions, but I have something really cool that I want to read to you, sort of as a follow-up to the way I opened the program yesterday. Uh, I opened up with a letter from a lady in our church who'd served at kids' camp Uh, out in the scorpions and spiders and snake territory and she said camping was way outside my comfort zone and she just told the story you remember about how god sort of prodded her along the way and the letter was about all of the blessings she would have missed had she not gone paul and i talk about this all the time you know the problem with christians who don't really step out and serve the lord is that we never know what we missed Sort of like we're fat, dumb, and happy, you know, everything is okay. Uh, but, But we miss out on the things that God wants to bless us with. And she uh, alliterated those, those blessings. And there were seven, what she called, kisses. And it was just an amazing uh, thing. And she said that at the end, she said, uh, I'm done saying no to God. I'm going to say yes every time I have the opportunity. Well, I read it on the air yesterday at the beginning of the program. And this is what I got when I got home from her. Pastor Ron, I was at home and turned on the radio program right where you were reading my email. My son, who is not saved, this is an adult son. My son, who is not saved, was there and listened and was so touched. He hugged me and said, Mom, I see the change in you, and I'm so happy for you. Now get this. Then he said this. I want that too. We prayed together, and I asked God to open his heart. Goodness, who knew that little old me saying yes would touch so many people's lives, and then she signed off by saying, I'm seriously beyond humbled. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? I wonder how long she's been praying for that son. And, and, you know, people are watching, and we need to know that people are watching. We need always to remember, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And all we have to do is be with Jesus to do it. And it's amazing the people that will get saved. It's amazing the places that God will take us. We just have to trust Him and give Him the chance. If I could hug every one of you in this radio audience and beg you to do one thing it would be this never say no to Jesus thank you for that follow up Uh, dear lady I love you thank you very very much Um, 340-9585 let me start with a question from Richard he says good afternoon Pastor Ron I'm an avid listener of your program thank you Richard I listen to you on the radio on my way home from work here's my question I know that Jesus tells how to pray to our Heavenly Father, who hears us, and of course delegates his answer according to his will, but I have heard in some instances of the chronology, if we can call it that, Uh, when we pray, should we first pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and in the name of our Heavenly Father God? Is this the or one of the proper ways of praying? Of course, we must be sincere when we ask God to help us in our needs, not wants, uh, and our times of trouble when seeking answers to our prayers. I will be eagerly awaiting, or I'll be eagerly waiting for your comments on the way home. I'm a born-again Christian. and have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior many years ago. Blessings to you and Paula for all the good you do and for all the people you help. You and Paula are a true brother and sister in Christ. Richard, thank you very, very much for the kind thoughts and um, Paul, I know, is listening. She'll be pleased, too. Uh, Richard, we make prayer way too difficult. First of all, we cannot pray in the power of the Holy Spirit unless we're praying through Jesus who gave us that power. That means our hearts have to be right with God. That means we have to confess our sins. It means that we have to be walking uh, with Jesus in the places that he's determined, seeking the will of God instead of our own will. Now, it's okay. Here's another key to prayer, Richard. It's okay to ask for things But we have to do so gratefully. Paul says, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Paul also writes to the Ephesians that God is able to do above and beyond anything that we can ask or imagine. Now, Richard, I have a huge imagination. I ask for a lot of things. But the basis of all that is gratitude. If you're not praying from a position of gratitude, then you're not praying in the Holy Spirit, nor are you praying in the name of the Lord Jesus, even if you say, in Jesus' name, amen. You see, it's not a formula. There's no formula for prayer. And, and when we look for these prayers, there's no, um, th- there's no shortcut. It's just being with Jesus. It's fellowship with Jesus. And I always like to tell people to, to demystify uh, prayer a little bit. It's, it's not a, a, there's a, not a way to do it. Uh, there's not a language that you have to Not even a place. Um, but Paul says to pray without ceasing. And that's to always constantly be in an attitude of prayer. And the way we do that is just to walk with Jesus and talk to him just like he was your friend. He said in John's gospel that we're his friends. So walk with him, Richard, and just talk to him the way you talk to anybody else. Now, obviously, we're not going to worship anybody else. So when you're talking with Jesus, acknowledge who he is. Thank him for what he's done for you. Um, Let him know that your heart is is committed to him. I do this every day, Richard, and I say this so often in this program that people probably tune it out by now. But I start every morning, when I take my walk with the Lord, every morning I start with this. Today, of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus. Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit and your name and for your glory. And then, Richard, I'm honest enough to say to him, but I can't even do that on my own so I go through this process it's way more than symbolic for me because I know he's there walking with me I extend my right hand and I say because I can't do it I I offer my hand in faith Jesus I take yours in faith and then borrowing from Genesis 32 I say I will not let go until you bless me and then I do the same thing with Paula only I extend my left hand and say "Uh, Paula and I are one flesh and we choose to serve you And we will not let go until you bless us, until we finished our course together, and then ask him for the grace and the power to finish well. And then I talk. There's no King James English. There's no formulas. There's no debate about whose name do I pray in. So there's no chronology. Just talk to Jesus. Jesus is the one who has made God the Father known to us. The Holy Spirit has been given by Jesus to testify of Jesus, to lead us into the presence of Jesus day in and day out. And when you're walking with Jesus, Richard, I promise you, you won't be able to, to keep God from answering your prayers. Now, again, there are prayers, there are needs. I was, I've been praying. We, we've been going through a difficult time here at the church financially. I mean, it's just these tests. We get these tests. And going through these really, really difficult times... I'm praying every day, Lord, let this be the day when the, when the pressure, the burden goes off. Let this be the day when a billion dollars comes in, and, and, and Jesus, and I'm not being specific, he knows that I'm, I'm that's just how we talk. Um, and then I say, nevertheless, I will. Not my will be done. Now, honestly, i got to tell you, I put in several plugs for my will during that process. But he knows that I'm willing to acquiesce to his will over mine. So if you're willing to do that, ask for things. Ask for people to get saved. Uh, pray for your neighborhood. Uh, pray for the people at your your your, your place of employment. Uh, pray for the the physical and the and the spiritual, emotional issues that people you care deeply about are going through. Pray for your your wife if you're married. Pray for your uh, children. Pray for um, just God. I promise you, walking with Jesus, uh, He will fill your heart and your mouth with with plenty of prayer but just talk to him in Jesus name is not a formula it's an attitude of the heart Paul writes to the Colossians in everything you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus it's not continually saying in Jesus name it's, it's simply being with him and Richard when you're with him you're going to want to talk to him when you're with him There's times you're going to hear from Him. Before you walk with the Lord, open your Bible, spend some time hearing from the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, and let God begin to take your hand and lead you and guide you. And then prayer doesn't become something that's a burden. It becomes something that flows so naturally. I walk through my day, and, and, and again, most of you know I'm visually impaired, so I don't see clearly at all. And So I'll look at somebody who just sort of reminds me of somebody else, and I'll start praying for that person. I'm praying for opportunities, whether it's a gym, walking on the street. I want opportunities to share Jesus. When you're with Him and you're doing those things, believe me, Richard, you're going to get some prayers answered. And once you start getting prayers answered, and this is for everybody in this audience, Once you start getting prayers answered, I promise you, you will turn into a prayer warrior. It's one of the great, great things about being a man or a woman who is committed to prayer. So, uh, no formula. Uh, We don't pray in the name of Jesus or in the name of our Heavenly Father God. We pray with Jesus, talking to Jesus. And that is a prayer that is prompted by the power of the Holy Spirit. hope that makes sense to you, Richard. Thank you very, very much for listening in for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's one from our mobile app uh, from Nacho. In reading Acts 1, 23-26, I was wondering if there could be an application in today's church in casting lots or is that a Jewish custom only? In Acts chapter 1, you remember what occasion the, the casting of the lots was. Uh, Peter, inspired by the Spirit, not yet the Spirit having Fallen upon him yet that comes in Acts chapter two, but certainly inspired by the Spirit through the Word of God, realized that Judas was gone and he needed to be replaced. He quoted two separate Psalms, so we have to choose another and and ask God to show uh, all the people who would be who who would meet the qualifications. Uh, there were only two when it came down to it, and and Peter cast a lot. Proverbs says the the, the lot is cast by man but the decisions are from God and when you cast a lot the lot fell to a man named Matthias so that was and I, I taught on this just recently uh, Nacho that was the sort of the last official Old Testament dispensation act it was the right thing to do it was motivated by the word of God we certainly know that God was directing the steps so when Matthias was chosen uh, we go right to Acts chapter 2 and it opens with the Holy Spirit falling. So there's no need to cast lots. There's no need to look for omens or look for, for signs in the sky. Uh, we have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the living Christ living in us. And so there really is no application for us in the New Testament church. Uh, that was a one-time thing and a f- much, much, much better way uh, occurred uh, right at the beginning when the power that Jesus promised them was delivered in power, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Not only the sound of a mighty rushing wind, but cloven tongues of fire looking uh, seated just above the heads of all of the people upon whom the Spirit fell. And then, of course, the other sign was, um, I call it the Holy Spirit's grand entrance. It was people speaking in other tongues. So once he, the Holy Spirit, fell, Nacho, we didn't need any further um, lot casting, or sign watching, or, or fleecing, or anything like that. We need His Word, His Spirit, and a thriving relationship with Jesus. Thank you for the question. Three four zero ninety is Jasmine from our email inbox. If a married couple separates with the full intention of divorcing on non-biblical grounds, and in that period of separation, they start dating others. Would that be considered living in a lifestyle of sin? And in and of itself, is separation sin? Uh, somebody, uh, Jasmine, who is um, still married legally, uh, is sinning when they begin dating somebody else. They're sinning when they're flirting with somebody else. They're sinning uh, when they make those phone calls or exchange those texts or emails. So. Yes, it is. A married person is unavailable, period. You're not free if you're still married to go find somebody else. I'll trump that a little bit make it even a little bit more difficult. If you divorce because of the hardness of your heart and on non-biblical grounds, God gives you the, 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 the right to divorce and not the right, but He permits it. He gives you permission. But, but you're not free to marry, so you shouldn't then date. It's that simple. If you divorce, the Bible says you have to stay unmarried. Now, we don't practice that in our church culture, but it'd be a lot better if we did, because there'd be second and third divorces that would never have to happen. So, if you're going to divorce, count the cost. That's the whole point of this. If you're going to divorce, if you're going to separate Uh, and you don't have biblical grounds, then you're really a slave to to being single. And if you choose to walk out from under the guidelines that God's Word gives us, then you're you're living in rebellion against God. How could He possibly bless a future relationship? So these are really, really important things. Now, Jasmine, I want to be very clear. This is such a common thing. People divorce because they're tired. They divorce because they're just fed up with their spouse uh, or they just decide it's not going to work and divorce is so simple now and then they run right into a relationship they've been in church they're Christians and and the pastors will marry them Um, in my own personal opinion and this is what we practice here I won't marry somebody who is divorced for non-biblical grounds until I'm convinced that time has passed that's one but Second, that their walk with God is now rich and full. It wasn't before, but, but now it is, that they've really repented. They've recognized their sin of divorcing. And, and uh, I want the Spirit of God to confirm to me that this is a man or a woman uh, who uh, are committed not only to staying married, but to staying the course as they walk with Jesus. Now, it's a really hard thing because when people want to get married, they'll say anything. Well, I'm off the hook when that happens. That's between them and the Lord. But uh, no one should date anyone if they're still legally married. I don't care how separated you are, how committed to divorce you are. You shouldn't do it. Uh, The second question is a little more interesting in and of itself is separation sin. Um, Separation sometimes, Jasmine, is, I think, necessary and beneficial, especially uh, in cases where there's illegal activity going on on behalf of one of the the the, uh, the parties in the marriage, or uh, if there is um, um, some sort of abuse, physical uh, abuse, um, we encourage, uh, especially women who are being abused, to get out of the house immediately. Uh, and we we try to encourage them even more uh, not to to when the abuser says I'm sorry I didn't mean it and you know okay we'll take you back don't do that until you've seen the power of God in their lives the power to change to transform because abusers repeat it's just that simple so um, separation sometimes is uh, necessary Uh, but almost always when people say well you know we're not going to divorce but we're going to separate for a while and just kind of get some space between us uh, what a horrible response to sin What a horrible response to sin it is. How could we explain that to God? I didn't want to stop sinning. I didn't want to stop yelling. I didn't want to stop being selfish. So we're going to separate and see how that works out. Those almost always lead to divorce. Uh, Also, those situations usually lead to sexual immorality uh, in in subsequent relationships. No matter what people say, that's what ends up happening. Uh, And in those cases, uh, Jasmine, sin then, uh, I mean, separation is then, a sin. So, I hope that makes sense to you. These are really, really hard questions. Isn't it terrible that we who are believers have to ask questions like um, if we're separated for non-biblical grounds and not work out the reasons for our issues, our difficulties, not honoring God with our marriage. Before I get to God's question, let me say this. Our homes, as Christians, need to represent Jesus. Love, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Kind speech. Loving volume in our speech. And we who are believers ought to be embarrassed... Embarrassed and ashamed, driving us to our knees in repentance before God when we're unwilling to do that. And if only one person in the relationship is willing to do it, well, then that one person does it. God will use that one person. But the things that children hear, their parents say to each other and about each other, the screaming, the yelling, the anger, the cursing, These things should never be a part of a Christian home. Not ever. And if you're in this audience and you're hearing what I'm saying, and the Spirit of God is convicting of you, fix it now. Change now. 340-9585. Scott's question is from our email inbox. Could Revelation 5.8's bowl of incense, bowls, plural, of instance, be a reason that Catholics think they can pray to the saints in heaven. I don't think so, Um, uh, Scott. I I just think they pray to saints because that's what they're taught from the time they're young in the church. It is a, a tragedy. There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus, and yet we put all these layers between us and God, and honestly we do it because we know in our sin we can't approach a holy God. And we're unwilling to repent, we're unwilling to change, so it's easier to to kind of put the onus of our prayers on Jesus' mother or on saints. You know, the truth, Scott, is we're saints. You're a saint. If you're a born-again Christian, I'm a saint. I always tell my church when we open one of Paul's epistles, because he greets the saints, we talk about what a saint really is. A saint isn't a super-spiritual Christian. A saint is a born-again, bought-with-the-blood-of-Jesus-Christ Christian. And so I'm a saint, and you're a saint. And it would embarrass St. Peter, St. Paul, and all of the others that we pray to. It would embarrass them in heaven. The way we pray to them instead of going going to the Lord. I know heaven doesn't work this way, but I imagine every time we start praying to saints or we start praying to Mary... I imagine they put their fingers in their ears and go, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear. Because it's an offense. It's offensive to them because it's an offense against God. He made the way. Now, verse 8 of Revelation chapter 5 is um, um, a scene of heaven. John has been transported to heaven in this vision. And he's talking about the four living creatures and the 24 elders. The 24 elders representing the 12 patriarchs, representing the entirety of the Old Testament um, um, dispensation of believers, not all Jews, but those who are, like the ones we read about in Hebrews 11, those who believed God. Uh, And then, of course, the other 12 elders are the disciples turned apostles. And so in heaven, they're worshiping God. It said each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now that's a very Jewish reference. Of course, John was Jewish, uh, and and the culture um, reading this would understand it. Uh, Incense is a type or picture of prayer in the Old Testament. When incense is offered, it's the prayers of the saints going up, and in this particular case uh, the 24 elders, representing all of the believers throughout history, um, have this golden bowls full of incense and what that says is those are our prayers Scott they're my prayers they're Paula's prayers for me for 13 years imagine I wonder how many golden bowls she filled up praying for me but all of those are there and it's a victory declaration that these prayers are now answered these prayers are now answered and so that's what they're talking about. I, I don't think there's any connection between that verse and the Roman Catholic Church. I just think they got it wrong and tradition is really, really a hard thing to deal with. Hope that answers your question. 340 for your live calls and questions. You know, think about God's perspective for a moment. No, oh, I don't have time to do that. So God's perspective, can you imagine how upsetting it would be to, to him to have you prayed to somebody else instead of just talking to him. You died to do that. Hey, 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'd love to have your live calls. 30 minutes left in the program. We will be back in two minutes.
1: back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
2: seems like we just left each other welcome back to the second half of the program 340-9585 i've got a call waiting i'll get right to that but uh, let me read something that i just got uh via email uh during the break uh, hi, Pastor Ron. This is from Charles. I've been listening to your 2017 studies in Romans and finished 8.1 yesterday. I went to this website this morning. There wasn't a new teaching up yet. Well, that's because I haven't done, the next Sunday hasn't come yet, but 8, I'm going to do 8.1 through 6, I think, uh, this coming Sunday, Charles. Um, as I was logging out, I saw the Sweet Summer Devotions. I'd heard you speak about it on the radio, but quite honestly, I had no interest or desire to ever listen. For some reason, and then he writes in parentheses, I think we all know the reason. For some reason, I clicked on Holly McPherson and began listening. Wow. I was bowled over what a heartwarming, eye-opening, tear-jerking testimony. For all you big, tough guys out there, I encourage you to listen. Your hearts will truly be touched. Um, Charles, thank you for that. Um I, I was intended to listen to it today, and I didn't have the chance I'll do it tomorrow. Uh, but uh, Paula was really pleased when she got home last night, and uh, Holly means so much to us. So, um, Holly, I don't think you listened to the program, but, but thank you. And, Charles, thank you for your exhortation for some of us men to kind of toughen up and look. Let's go to Nigel on line one. Nigel, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
1: Hi. Yes, thank you, Pastor Ron. Uh, uh yeah sorry i'm uh, my question is regarding genesis um okay. in genesis 4 uh, after Cain killed Abel, uh god says uh, you know i'm going to put this mark on you so that anyone who sees it uh will know um i, I can't actually i can't remember if it's uh, to not kill you or to or to harm you or whatever um yes. but my my question was really regarding who who is anyone at this time? Uh, if all we're hearing about is is Cain and Abel, and then uh, Cain knew, said Cain knew his wife, and and also settled in the land of Nod, and and all of these things uh, seem like there's this already pre-established society that Adam and Eve kind of stumbled out upon once they left the garden.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I can I can answer that, Nigel. Thank you very very much. I, I think the, the problem is we read it as though it's uh, chronological, with no time gaps, um, but but by the time, for example, that um, Adam and Eve fell, uh, we don't know how long that was. We don't know uh, how um, how long Cain and Abel had been alive. There's no details on that. It is widely thought by a whole bunch of biblical scholars that by the time Cain killed Abel, they were both over a hundred years old. Now imagine in a nearly pristine um, um, culture, uh, an environment rather, imagine how quickly the, the earth could populate. So if it was a hundred years or hundred and fifty years, uh, people would have been married, married they would marry um, sisters, they'd marry cousins. Remember there's no law against it. Uh, the curse hadn't taken full effect yet, so there wasn't any genetic damage done or anything like that. They were just told to be fruitful and multiply, and so they—that's they, what they did, and, and that's why you find so many people um, marrying um, uh, Abraham, for instance, um, going to to family members uh, for a son for his or for a wife for his son for Isaac. So we see all these things, but there's no chronology, and there's a lot of. Of, um, of time gaps in that situation so um, the fact that Cain went out for the Lord's presence uh, he just went to where there were other people and people would have been spreading all over I was reading uh, just this week um, Nigel that that um, um, the earth population at the time of the flood remember people were living for a very 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 long time Um, over 900 years in many cases, Uh, the population of Earth could have been as high as 8 billion people. 8 billion people. So there was a lot of people out there, Uh, and and the gaps just aren't being filled in in terms of the time and the sequence between them. So uh, Cain was driven out. He would have had to go away. He went to where other people were. Uh, and, and you're right that God promised to mark him so that if anyone killed Cain, the person who killed him would suffer vengeance seven times over. Uh, Cain is is famous for his line, My punishment is more than I can bear. You know, God warned him, and he sinned anyway. In fact, he, he murdered his brother, and he was unwilling to accept the consequences. And that's sort of been the pattern of life uh, for the rest of the, the history of our world. People sin. We don't want to accept the consequences. We sort of blame God, and that's exactly what Cain did. And and even so, God spared Cain. And he was married. She gave birth to Enoch. And, of course, not only did she give birth to Enoch, but Enoch um, would be um, sort of the ancestor to the Enoch that we know who was taken up. Uh, to heaven to be with Jesus. Hope that helps, Nigel. Thank you very, very much. 3409585. Here's a question from Rich from our mobile app. Does demon possession still exist today? And do you think that there are some who may have issues with demonic influence or misdiagnosis having mental health issues? Rich, I really, really do. And yes, demon possession still exists today um, uh, in some parts of the world. Um, you can go and see demon-possessed people everywhere in our country, not so much, although demon possession still exists here. But in the West, where there's so much light, um, Jesus is everywhere. Everybody hears about Jesus. Um, demon possession isn't the, the kind of problem it was uh, in biblical days, nor is it the kind of problem that it is in other countries. However, having said that, uh, Paula and I have done ministry in nursing homes and we've encountered demon possession there. I've seen the tiniest I want to be kind, I don't know what other word use decrepit old woman demonstrate supernatural power. Paula just touched her and Paula got sick um, in a nursing home ministry that we did. Every time we'd come and we'd start teaching a Bible study or Paula would start singing, she'd start howling and making noises and you know how they run around in their wheelchairs pushing themselves. She could go so fast <laughs> and she would just want to be sure every, everything was disrupted. That wasn't her, it was the demon in her. Um, so we had to deal with that. Uh, additionally, uh, in, in our mental institutions, um, demon possession is, is rampant and misdiagnosed and treated medically when medical issues or medical solutions uh, really aren't going to be effective. Uh, So, yes, demon possession still exists Uh, when you encounter somebody who's demon possessed. Believe me, there's nothing fun or exciting about it. It is ugly. It is warfare. And you need to be sure before you go digging in with somebody who's demon possessed, you need to be sure that your heart and walk is right with God because you're no match for a demon. I promise everybody out here you're no match for a demon unless you're in close, close unity with the Lord. unless your heart is right, your walk is right. That's why, Rich, and this isn't what you ask, but that's why these false teachers that talk about bind you Satan and, and just just laugh at the devil and those kinds of, they, they have no understanding of what real demon possession is. They have no understanding of what little power they have. We can't order the devil to do anything. And I've seen demons, remember the seven sons of Siva, the demons jumped out and beat up the ones that were trying to preach to them. I've seen demon-possessed people do a lot of physical damage to those Christians who weren't right with God, who weren't in fellowship with Him. So be wary, be careful, and be sure you're right with God. Good question, Rich. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from, let me get here, James. Uh, oh, this is about my Sunday message. I watched your Sunday message online and have a question. You said God is pleased when we struggle with sin. Wouldn't he be more pleased if we didn't have the struggle? If you are right, it would mean that we can keep on doing bad things and God is okay with it. James, that's not what it means at all. God is pleased when we struggle because the fact that we struggle with sin instead of giving into sin. Our study was Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation. I mean, add another word, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and you know, we, we, we get condemned when the devil lies to us. We f- fail. We break a promise. We beat ourselves up. The enemy heaps condemnation. But you see, when we struggle with sin, it proves who we really are instead of giving in. If we didn't care about Jesus, it's like Paul in Romans chapter 7, what I want to do, I can't do, what I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. But you see, when we're struggling like that, we're identifying ourselves as belonging to God. And the truth, James, is we're all going to struggle with some sort of sin or temptation as long as we're in these physical bodies. We don't get to a point in these bodies where we're not going to have temptation or struggles anymore. So keep struggling. I told the church on Sunday, keep struggling. Jesus is with you, and he's pleased. And in fact, I told them that I don't think he's ever more pleased than when we struggle with something, and we overcome it, and we do it only because we love him. So again, the struggle is a good thing, and the struggles that we have please the Lord. That means when bad thoughts come, when wicked ideas come rushing to your mind, you're not the source. The enemy is the source. Sin living in you is the source, Paul says. But when you struggle to defeat it, you're just demonstrating how much you believe God. Now, as to the, the last statement that you made, if if, if I'm right... I mean we can keep on doing bad things and God's okay with it. Uh, James, go to the studies in Romans chapter 7 that I did. Because over and over and over we talk about, uh, does that mean we can go on sinning? God forbid. Uh, certainly not. Um, the, the, the Christian can't keep doing bad things because the Christian loves Jesus. If, if somebody can keep doing bad things and they're not convicted by the Holy Spirit, then that's time for them to worry about their salvation. So it never means that we can keep on doing bad things. It never means God is okay with sin because we know better. We know different. So what we need to do, James, is be with Jesus. Do what He wants us to do. Say yes to Him and no to our flesh. And when we do that, we overcome those struggles. And then you can recognize that God is pleased because we did it. And when we mess up, and this was a big point I wanted to make this past Sunday, when we mess up, because there's no condemnation all we have to do is say Jesus I blew it I'm so sorry and he says okay forget about it let's get him start walking together again you know a lot of us we have this this feeling like unless we feel really really bad for a really long time we're not really sorry that's a lie from the devil he's trying to immobilize you and keep you from serving the lord when you Go to Jesus and say, You said it. I believe it. You said if I ask for forgiveness, you forgive me. I'm sorry, Jesus. Why wallow in guilt or condemnation? Condemnation comes from the enemy. Conviction comes from God. Condemnation draws you away from God. Conviction draws you to God. So, James, I hope that makes some sense. Let me suggest that you watch the uh, messages in Romans, chapter 7. We spent quite a bit of time there, but... Uh, your questions will be addressed completely there as well here is an anonymous question how do you think pastors should deal with false teachers to protect their church members should they call out people like Joel Osteen or Benny Hinn by name Um, anonymous I don't think I don't think that's our responsibility to do so I don't think we should necessarily shy away from it Um, but, but see here's the job of a pastor job of a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, Ephesians 4. And the way we do that is by opening our Bibles and teaching the Bible. Not preaching or, or not uh, telling stories and not just, just giving humorous illustrations, but really teaching the Bible. Now, we here at Calvary Chapel do it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, there are really good teachers who don't do that. That's okay, but as long as they're teaching... And they're not just giving opinions, they're not just telling stories. But teaching, you see, it's not enough to know what to do, we have to know how to do it. And that's the value of teaching. And that distinguishes teaching from, from just being a talking head. So my job isn't to deal with false prophets. Now, the exception, of course, is when we go verse by verse. We come to a lot of passages that talk about false prophets, we would call them heretics. And, and uh, yeah, then we have to talk about it. I have found it better anonymous to identify what people teach as opposed to calling them out by name. And the reason is pretty simple. And as a younger Christian, when I first got started, you know, you, we get on these crusades. I'm going to straighten everybody out kind of thing. But here's what I found happening. When I would mention a, a false teacher's name, somebody that a whole bunch of Christians are watching on TV or buying their books. You just mentioned two of them here. When when I mention my name, people stop listening because it hurts their feelings. Well, I like him. He's good. I thought he was fine type of thing. Why is Pastor Ron talking bad about another Christian? So instead of calling people out by name, I've found it far more effective to talk about the false teaching, and there's plenty of opportunities to do so uh, when you're going verse by verse through the Bible. And then I can say, this false teaching is very popular now, and they can make the connection in their own heads, and I'm equipping them for the next time they listen to that false teacher. Uh, Just last week we had a a caller, a a nice lady who's a regular listener to the program, who asked about Joel Osteen because she likes him because he's nice, and I had to be very direct and say, I'm sure he's nice. I personally think he's probably saved. But here's what I can tell you for sure. He's not teaching a Christian message. In fact, it's antithetical to the Christian message. So, uh, I don't think we should call them out. I, I don't think sensationalism or inflaming people is the answer. I think instructing them. And I spend the overwhelming majority of my time, Anonymous, on instructing people in the right doctrines of our beautiful Bibles. Thanks a lot. Let's go to Mason County, Texas, and talk with Ron on line one. Ron, Thanks for calling. You're on the air.
1: Well, I appreciate that i'm, I'm uh, your demon discussion with the previous caller what brought this up in June, when they're talking about uh, even Michelangelo when they were fight when the devil and Michelangelo is arguing over Moses' body. Uh, he's talking about being pretty cautious about the devil there. And will you explain to me what what's actually going on there when they're arguing over Moses' body?
2: Yeah, I can do that. Thank you, uh, Ron. I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, when Michael the Archangel uh, was disputing with uh, with the devil over Moses' body, Moses we know died. God buried him, it says. Uh, instantly the, the, the devil tried to um, take control of Moses' body because what he knew would happen based on Israel's history and, and how they so revered Moses that they would keep his body and they would worship it. They would set up a shrine to Moses and they would embalm him necessarily if, that, if, they, if they had the means to do it. But whatever they do, but they would set up the shrine and Moses would become a stumbling block instead of a, a figurehead. And um, spiritually speaking, um, Michael the archangel and Lucifer... Uh, we know him as Satan, are equals uh, opposites. In other words, they're equal in power. Um, probably the two most powerful angels ever created by God. Uh, and so when uh, the devil wanted Moses' body, uh, God dispatched Michael, who is also called Israel's prince or Israel's protector uh, throughout the Old Testament. Um, um, Michael was sent. Uh, on a mission from God to make sure that that, uh, the devil couldn't get his body. Michael prevailed, of course, and nobody has ever found, nor will they ever find Moses' body. Uh, The reason, in part, is we're going to see him again uh, at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. He's one of the two witnesses uh, from Revelation chapter 11. Um, but, But they disputed over the body, uh, Michael won. He always wins because he's on God's side. So Michael and Satan are equal opposites. One is perfect love. The other is perfect evil. And, and but, but make no mistake, in terms of power, um, even Michael, we're told, uh, doesn't make careless accusations against the devil. He respects his power. He respects his power. So that's what it all means. It's Jude chapter verse 9. Is uh, is the reference? So Ron from Mason County, thank you very very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Stuart. Uh, Stuart says, "Will a gay man who really believes in Jesus go to heaven?" Stuart, the question has so many nuances to it. Uh, if you mean uh, a man who has same sex attraction who is predisposed. Uh, and I don't mean because God predisposed him that way. Remember, we live in a fallen world, but somebody whose sexual attraction is only for other men, uh, but he denies that because he really not only believes in Jesus, but loves Jesus. Uh, yes, that's the struggle that we talked about in an earlier question. Uh, we struggle with sin, God's pleased. There are a whole bunch of people with same-gender attraction uh, who fight it tooth and nail. and And, you know... They all wish it would go away if they love the Lord, but it doesn't. We still are trapped in these flesh and blood bodies. But when they say no to their flesh and say yes to Jesus, he's pleased. It proves, it identifies who he really is. Now, if by a gay man you mean one who is actively uh, involved in homosexual activity, uh, somebody who has taken a, a, a spouse of the same gender... Uh, but proclaims to be a Christian, uh, then the answer is no. Uh, the Bible says very clearly, First Corinthians 6, Galatians chapter 5, people live like this, and there's a whole list of sins, not just homosexuality. People live like this, and the idea there is a constant, continual lifestyle of that sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. So how we behave and the choices that we make identify whether or not we really do belong to Christ. That's what we need to understand. Somebody's not a Christian because they answered an altar call. Somebody's not a Christian because they say they are. We're a Christian because Jesus has come to live in our hearts. And when he's come to live in our hearts, he takes over. And that means this battle between flesh uh, and and spirit, between sin and doing what's right, never is going to stop until we're with Jesus. So the man and the woman who continually gives in Uh, or or who who really well this is who I am this is the way I'm going to be and God's okay with it that's not really a Christian at all remember you're not a Christian because of what you say we who are really believers are identified by how we live the choices we make now Stuart this is sort of off the the scope of the question but here's something that we need we who are Christians really need to, to, to consider isn't it awful that a whole bunch of people who are real Christians live like unbelievers. We sin, we look at pornography, earlier question about divorce and separation. Uh, we divorce our spouse before the divorce even final, we're dating somebody else. And the world looks at us and says, well, you guys are supposed to be Christians, so if you can do that, I can do this. Uh, we need to be concerned about walking in holiness. We need to be concerned about being with Jesus, staying with Jesus. Because if we're not, we're going to sin, we're going to bring shame to the name of the Lord, and other people are going to point at us and use us to justify them doing what they want to do. And you know, nowadays, as tragic as this is, there are churches professing to be Christian who actually approve of and affirm homosexual behavior. They're not Christian churches. Jesus said, Woe to the one who makes one of my little ones stumble. And for me as a pastor, for example, to give somebody any hint that they can live a lifestyle of sexual immorality and be pleasing to God and go to heaven is worse than making them stumble. I'm actually encouraging them to stumble. It's like I'm the one that's pushing them off the edge of the cliff. So um, depending on what you mean, uh, the, the the man or woman whose sexual orientation is is to be predisposed to the same sex, but who says no to their flesh, that person will be in heaven, and and the rewards will be great, pleasing to God. You know, sir, I want to put this in different context because these questions uh, cause a lot of backlash. The same thing is true. When a guy comes in to me and says, well, Pastor Ron, I'm just really highly sexual and I can't control myself and God made me this way, and, and but I'm a Christian, uh, I'll tell them the same thing. If you're engaged in sexual immorality and that's having sex with anybody you're not married to, then you're not a Christian if you can do that without being convicted. Anybody can look at me and say, well, I can do drugs, I can smoke marijuana, I can be a drunk. Um, and they tell me they're Christian and say, wait a minute, that's, that's not what the Bible says and we'd rather have false hope than no hope at all the problem is that false hope kills no hope at least drives us to a place or at least I hope hope is available I just want people to be honest so tough question Stuart this is a question that we're going to, have to deal with over and over and over and over and we do Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, let me suggest again to all of you listening to uh, Holly McPherson's Sweet Summer Devotion from last night, Charles's recommendation, I'm grateful for. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock. See you then.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.